0: Good morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? It's so good to have you guys with us today. And man, it was just great to have Drew here. Like, As I told our Dream Team this morning, our vision at Thrive is 650K. There's 650,000 people in the Richmond metro area that don't have uh, a church home, don't know the Lord, don't walk with the Lord. And the only way to reach that many people is by planting brand new Churches. And so, Drew is the proof we put our money where our mouth is, right? That we believe that by partnering with the Big C church, God has big things in store for Richmond. So, what's amazing is this. If our Jump Day's message, you just had to understand kind of the depth of this, of what God's doing with your generosity and with your prayers, is that now we're getting ready to mother what will be our fifth church since we started Thrive Church 10 years ago, right? Um, again, that's our vision. What will be our story when there's nothing left but a story one day? Is that we came alongside the Big C Church in Richmond and we helped dent hell, and populate heaven. That's our goal here at Thrive. And so be praying for Drew and his team. It's just another exciting opportunity for us to see God move in Richmond. Well, if you're new with us today, we're in a series in the book of Jeremiah. Spending several weeks there and going through it. And if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to Jeremiah chapter 6 this morning. Jeremiah chapter 6. One of the questions that all of us will ask and probably have asked is, God, why me? why now, why this? That's something that happens all the time. I had some news this week of a dear friend who was diagnosed with terminal cancer, and the question for him was the same thing. The question for his family was that. The question for me was that. Why him? Why now? Why this, God? And you've probably had that happen in your life, or maybe you're going through that right now. One of the biggest, I think, questions that we struggle with as believers is why would a good God... Allow me to go through suffering. Why would God let His people go through suffering? And the same question was asked by the the children of Israel 2,600 years ago. Because what happens to them in Jeremiah's ministry is they go through the darkest season of their existence. Now, they caused it. They're the ones who last week fell into idol worship and were disobedient to God. but But they were getting ready to go and be captured by the most wicked nation on earth. So what does God do? Before they're captured and exiled, he sends this guy named Jeremiah. Jeremiah was one of the prophets of the Old Testament. And prophets were sent by God to warn the people, to awaken the people to God's plan and God's will. And so he sends Jeremiah to the southern kingdom of Judah. They're wrapped up in idol worship. They're just worshiping pagan idols. They're far from God. The children of Israel have drifted from the path. And Jeremiah comes in. He's called the weeping prophet because he's crying, begging them to turn their life around. And they keep refusing. He ministered 40 years there in the southern kingdom of Judah. And his message was the same over and over. Matter of fact, Jeremiah followed up his his book of Jeremiah with a book called Lamentations which just means weeping and crying. That's what the whole book is all about, lamenting over what the children of Israel have done. And what you're going to see in Jeremiah 6 is God foretelling them of the enemy of Babylon that's going to come in. Historically, you can track this and follow this and fact-check this, that Babylon would come in and take Israel away and put them into captivity. And so look at Jeremiah chapter 6 here. Verse one says, run for your lives, you people of Benjamin. Would you love to preach this message to people? (laughs) Like, Jeremiah deserves a lifetime achievement award because this is the most discouraging stuff ever. The book of Jeremiah has one positive verse that we'll look at in several weeks from now, and that's not even positive when you actually read it in context. Get out of Jerusalem. Sound the alarm in Tekoa. Send up a signal at Beth-Hakarim. A powerful army is coming from the north coming with disaster and destruction. Oh, Jerusalem, you are my beautiful and delicate daughter. This is God speaking, but I will destroy you. <laughs> That's kind of like a parent, right? Son, I love you. You are sweet. If you cross me one more time, I'll tear that tail up. <laughs> Verse 3, and this is like, yes, you know, this is God's heart. Them enemies will surround you like shepherds camped around the city. Each chooses a place for his troops to devour. They shout. Prepare for battle. Attack at noon. No, it's too late. The day is fading and the evening shadows are falling. Well then, let's attack at night and destroy her palaces. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. Cut down the trees for battering rams. Build siege ramps against the walls of Jerusalem. For this city is to be punished for she is wicked through and through. Welcome to Thrive Church this morning. We're here to encourage you. But what you see here, something that truly happened, and it happened for a purpose and a reason, is that God would allow the enemies. He wasn't, quote-unquote, sending them. The disobedience and the bad decision of Israel allowed the enemies to come in. But what you see here is how God is going to use an enemy. This all looks just terrible, like, I mean, you're just at the surface level, this looks really bad for Israel. But God is going to use this in a way for them. In their darkest season, we're going to, they're going to question God's goodness. They're going to question, does God really care for me? Is God really for me? And that's what they're struggling with. And God's going to show them what He's going to do in the darkest season of their existence in Babylonian captivity. And so what I want you to understand here today and what I want to grab from this passage of what's going to happen to Israel is this, because we all have enemies in our life too that come in. All of us have different types of enemies. And this is the greatest thing that I have learned from the book of Jeremiah when it comes to pain and enemies is that our enemy can create resiliency. Our enemy can create resiliency. Now, God doesn't send the enemies. He's not out to get you. But a fact of life is, Jesus said this to his disciples. He says, don't worry. Trouble will come. Trials will happen. It's going to happen to you. There's no way around it. People are going to die. We're going to get sick. Things are going to happen. There's no way to avoid this in life, right? We don't want it to happen. I don't wish on anybody to happen. But this is the thing you have to understand about an enemy. It can create resiliency. And resiliency is this. It's the ability to bounce back after you've been punched in the gut. It's the ability that when you have somebody coming against you, you have the the fortitude and character to be able to not only stand against what's happening, but to be able to fight back against what's happening and not shrink into a ball. That's what resiliency is. The problem in our generation, though, is that this generation here doesn't have much resiliency. You know, we, we, we kind of laugh and talk about the, the, the millennials and the particip- participation trophies. I didn't have that in my day and time. The very people saying that are the ones who raise millennials. Well, in my day and time. And here's the issue that it's not their fault. Here's what happens. It is, and studies prove this. Go to growingleaders.com. Tim Elmore does a great job explaining this. But resiliency is when you have something coming against you, you can withstand it. Our young people, and this is what I'm trying to develop in my son, because it's the number one thing he's gonna need, do not have resiliency because we continue to bubble wrap them. Anytime that they have a coach they don't like, we we'll just go to another team. Teacher they don't like, we we'll just go to another teacher, Or well, I'll just teach you at home. Oh, you don't wanna do that? You don't have to do that, little Billy. You just sit at home and drink cokes and play video games, it's all good. And we wonder why that they struggle with anxiety, because they've never had to fight anything. They've never had a bully. They've never had somebody, I want my son to be on a team where there's a pecking order. Daddy, am I the best player? No, you're actually not the best player, bud. You're good at this, but this guy's much better than you are, and I've told him that. To understand those things. It's not being mean, it's not being rude, but the thing that we do a disservice to ourselves, to our children, and that we want God to do for us, we want God to treat us like we treat our children. God, just get me out of this situation. I don't want to face it. Take the pain away. Calgon, take me away. When the truth of the matter is, God can use those situations to do in you what He couldn't do without those situations. So it creates resiliency. Resiliency. The ability to bounce back, to stand firm with character, to go through things. And if you were real about this and surveyed your life, you became who you are today by the negative things you went through that shaped you, right? That's what created that thing in you. And you go back, you can say, yeah, I remember when I had to go through the divorce. Or I remember when I lost everything. Or I remember when this all—we didn't want wish it to happen, but you wouldn't be who you are today without it. And this is what God says in Habakkuk. So Habakkuk was a prophet who ministered at the same time Jeremiah was ministering. The the prophets weren't just like one-offs, and God, you know, just let one die, another one came. But a lot of them were hanging around ministering at the same time together. And Habakkuk was kind of on the tail end of Jeremiah, ministering right in the middle uh, there of the Babylonian captivity. And this is what God says through that prophet to the same people. He says this, Habakkuk 1.5, The Lord replied, look around at the nations, Israel. Look and be amazed, for I'm doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. I could stop there and I could just preach a really bad, non-contextual sermon to you and say, God's doing something new in your life. Get ready. He just said, I'm doing something in your day that you wouldn't believe if I told you. That sounds really positive, doesn't it? Remember, I said, welcome to Thrive. I'm here to encourage you today. Verse 6, he says, I am raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people, and they were the most wicked people on planet earth at that time. He says this, they will march across the world and conquer other lands. They are notorious for their cruelty, and they do whatever they like. Their horses are swifter than cheetahs and fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their charioteers charge from far away like eagles. They swoop down and devour their pray. Now, God says this to them. I'm doing something that you wouldn't believe. Why would God allow the Babylonians to come in to do this? And here's why. When you you look at Habakkuk and read the book that he wrote, it's all about this. God has a future vision for them. He has a future vision of restoring the temple, restoring the city of Jerusalem, and bringing them back to restoration to a good land. So he has this future vision, right? God has a future vision for you as well, right? He has this future plan for you. The problem is, in their current condition of idol worship and serving false gods, God could not do in them what He wanted to do in them. So here's what happens. God allows the enemy to come in to create resiliency in their life. Imagine it this way. You have a five-gallon bucket. That's your capacity in your life. That's you. I have a, a five-gallon bucket capacity. But God says to me, Kevin, I have a 50,000-gallon vision for your life. Would it behoove God to pour 50,000 gallons into a five-gallon bucket? How much would actually be caught in the bucket? Only five gallons. I'm going somewhere with this. So here's what has to happen. The capacity has to increase to hold what God has for them, right? Right? resiliency creates your capacity. It makes it bigger. And God says, you've got to have a bigger capacity because my vision for you is much bigger. But I can't stretch you. I can't create greater capacity for you without you having enemies in your life, pain in your life, things that come in that push you to your limits to make you greater for what I have for you. So he says, Israel, I had this 50,000-gallon vision for you. I want to see you as a powerful nation once again. I want to see you as I envisioned and as I spoke to Abraham back in Genesis. I want to see Messiah come through the line of, of Israel. That was the promise, right? Jesus and salvation for the world. But in your current condition, I just can't do it. And I would just dare to say that maybe, just maybe, In our current conditions, in our life, God can't do what He wants to do because our capacity is not there. So what happens? Enemies come into our life, and the first thing we want to do is pray them away, get rid of them. What happens is this. Here's how capacity is created. Capacity is created through resistance that creates resilience. Resilience. Now, all the time, you know, it's, I mean, some of you guys are like, man, don't, don't mention health or fitness, man. i gonna tell you what, I'm sick of hearing it. I don't even read your post anymore on Facebook. <laughs> but you have to understand something that's just a principle of life. You cannot get stronger if you don't lift heavier stuff. Won't happen. I didn't understand that for years. I was going, into, I was going to the gym and wasting time, dude, just pumping out some many stuff. I was just doing stuff. Wasted all my time. Looked horrible. Didn't feel any better. And I'm like, man, uh, what's going on? And then the, I learned the secret of life. Pick up and push heavier stuff, Kevin, and it builds muscles. <laughs> right? Now that, that, now, that sounds simple and funny and a little bit, well, why are you going there? Because we have faith muscles. And the problem is, going through the same stuff over and over again will never increase your faith muscles. It'll never expand the muscle and tear the muscle. The reason muscles grow is because they tear. The reason your faith muscles will grow is because they have to be torn some. And so God will allow these enemies to come in to tear and create greater capacity for you to have more of what God wants for your life. And here's here's my fear. If we misunderstand God's way of using our enemies— We're gonna miss out on opportunities. Every time an enemy shows up, an opportunity shows up. And you've got to always be aware of that. An enemy has shown up, something has shown up in my life, now there's an opportunity. The first opportunity is always this it's a chance to get closer to Jesus. Anytime I go through something, I'll never forget on a phone call in 2004, I'm talking to my best friend. We're both going through ministry transition. And this is what he said to me. I said, man, this is tough. I don't know what to do. We started fasting and praying, seeking God. And here's what he said. He said, this is just an opportunity to get closer to Jesus. And anytime you go through something, it's an opportunity to seek the Lord, to get closer to Christ, to know Him greater. But the greater opportunities beyond that, that that go just beyond your spiritual relationship, is it creates capacity in your life. That now you have greater capacity for God to use you. And my fear is many of us want God to do great things in our life. We want Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, and to, but we don't want Babylonian captivity. And can I tell you, you're never going to get to the plans unless you have to go through things where enemies come into your life. But it's all how you respond to it. And that's the key. And throughout my ministry life, things don't bother me as much as they do anymore. Um, things are much easier because of all that I've been through. All the negative things I've been through, the burnout, the trauma. I mean, man, I had, a, I had, a, had something happen to me a year ago. It had nothing to do with church. Somebody just blatantly lied about something. It really, really was difficult in my life. It was one of the darkest seasons ever. Just bla- and God, will, I was like, God, why are you allowing this? Why are you doing this? And this is exactly what God was speaking to me. He said, you're going to know me like you've never known me before. You're going to be able to hear my voice like you've never heard it before. And when you come out of this, you're going to be stronger than you ever have before. Can I tell you something? Amen. There isn't a whole lot that shakes me anymore. When you have to go to your knees and hear from God and obey God when you don't see any results that could happen from it. And I want to encourage you in that. Because your enemy will create resiliency that will create your capacity for God to do something greater in your life if you see the opportunity. Right now, whatever you're going through, there's an opportunity. No, well, no, Kevin. Opportunities look good. It's, it's always a step up. It's always a promotion. It's not, I'm telling you, that is not the opportunities you look for. You will ne- The people, like, for instance, I have a friend. His book comes out this fall about hope for marriage. A beautiful story, beautiful story of how he cheated on his wife with a staff member at a church, lost everything, ruined his marriage, ruined his life. It's a beautiful story. You got to read it. (laughs) But, but through counseling, through ownership, through seeking God, I read my good buddy's book. It was 300 pages. He sent me the, the, the pre-order copy with that before it comes out in September. Him and his wife now mend marriages. And the people that are coming to their marriage retreats in Tennessee, when they come in there, they don't hear the story of, well, we've been married 50 years and never had a fight, and we are just love Jesus, and you should too. <laughs> What's wrong with you? That's not going to translate... He can say to them, my marriage went through this. You're probably not going through that, are you? So you have a chance. (laughs) See, that's what God wants to do in our life. There's opportunities when those things happen that God can create capacity to use us on a greater level. But here's what you and I have to do, and it's this here. Here's our action is use your enemy as your footstool. Do you know what a footstool is? Well, some of y'all don't because you're not short. My mom had to get me a footstool growing up because we had upper cabinets, right? And, and I kept stepping on the, the lower, I was a little kid stepping on the lower cabinet. And Back then we used all cast iron metal stuff, but I actually kept breaking her stuff. And man, her and dad were so mad, she bought me a footstool so I could reach something higher that I couldn't reach without it. That's what a footstool does for you. You've got to allow your enemies in life, the things that are coming against you, to be able to help you to get to a level you couldn't get without them. Because can I tell you, you're not going to get to the place you want to get without the resistance, without the pain, and without the enemy. But you can use it as your footstool. And I love what is written here in, in Psalms 110, verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, and this is the psalmist writing, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I'll humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. What I want to do is show you how to leverage your enemy. I have uh, friends uh, who do jujitsu, and the whole thing with jujitsu is, is using somebody else's force against them to be able to take them down. I don't know what you're facing in life today, guys, but God has you here for a purpose and a reason, because He wants to use the situation and circumstance that you're in to be a footstool to get to a place you couldn't get without it. To say, you know what, if I would not have hurt so bad, I would never be where I'm at today. The the very fact that we have Drew on stage, can I tell you why we have Drew on stage and why I want to plant churches? Because I went and planted my first church. Almost nobody was there to help me. Other pastors didn't want me around. I was a threat to them. We had no money. We were pitiful. And now today, out of that pain I went through, it was horrible. I mean, it's a, bad, it's a bad situation when we planted our first church. It was tough. Had nothing. Meeting in a school, it was bad. I'm doing for him today what was never done for me because I went through so much pain planting my first church. If I wouldn't have went through the pain, listen, I wouldn't. I would be like, okay, true, Drew, good. I'm glad you want to plant a church, man. Go get them, buddy. That's what people told me. Go get them. They had never experienced pain like me. That will create the story that God is writing. And I want to share with you, uh, this with you about pain. is that Number one, our enemies set us up through pain. When pain comes into your life, understand that your enemy is actually setting you up. Remember Joseph in Genesis? We all know the story of Joseph and that he was wrongfully accused for rape and he never did it. And then at the very end of his life, his brothers threw him into a pit. Everything that could have gone wrong went wrong in his life. That is not the way... He imagined the dream going, right? But at the very end of his life, when he could have killed his brothers, he said, hey, man, what what the enemy meant for evil, God used for good. Your enemy, anytime pain comes into your life, if you will respond correctly, he's setting you up. He sets you up for it. And why is that? Pain is the greatest motivator. I was speaking with someone this morning, and when when you have— uh, children who just won't change. You know why they won't change? Because of you. When they get to a certain age, they just need to experience some pain. People don't usually change to, it, it, it hurts bad enough. Sadly, with health, and all, I deal with this all the time, people don't change or want to change until the doctor gives them the bad report. And, oh, and they're scrambling to try to, you know, I don't want to die early. And now it hurts. It's now, now they, they, they want to make changes. Financially, Won't go to Financial Peace University until you are absolutely upside down in debt. Pain is the greatest motivator for change in people. I wish it was, you know, a future vision. I wish it was rewards, but it's actually pain. So what happens when the enemy sends the pain, that's usually the thing that's going to help motivate you to be able to do the thing that God is calling you to do, right? So here's what happens with that. Purpose is found in how much pain you have endured. So your enemy sets you up with pain, it begins to motivate you, and then when you start making those changes in life, that's when you find purpose. Purpose is found in how much pain you have endured. We don't have any heroes we celebrate that haven't gone through anything, have we? In this day and time, we just celebrate people just for being people. Participation trophies and medals, everything. But we don't celebrate people in this generation who have actually lost something, been through something, and have come out on the other side of it. Think about some of the greatest people in history. Think about Martin Luther King Jr. Think about the pain that he endured and all that he went through. That's why he's a hero because of all that he because he had an enemy of racism and segregation. Think about Winston Churchill. Do you understand that he didn't last very long after the war? As a prime minister, he didn't last long at all. Why? Because he was a wartime man. We know him only because of the war. If you go through heroes in life, you have to understand that they're, they're heroes because they endured pain. They went through pain, and that's how they found their purpose in life. And so when you go through something like this, you have to understand that God wants to use your pain, and and here's here's what he's going to do, and this is what it all comes down to. Your story of pain paints a potential purpose for others. Your story of pain paints a, a potential purpose for others. Today, I am reading you the story of the children of Israel, correct? What is it doing for you? Painting a story of potential purpose that how God worked in them, God can work in you. As I'm hanging out with Drew and talking with Drew, I am about 10 years ahead of him. I am sharing sharing with him my story of pain. And what he is seeing is, hey, so you're saying there's a chance. (laughs) He says, there's potential. We can do this. We can make it. That's what God wants to do in your life. As he's writing a story through you, The question is, are you willing to press through the pain to go through what you're going through, to do the hard work during it, to have that story for someone else, to paint a story of potential purpose for them as well? Because that's what I'm doing for you today. All the pain that that, that I share from the stage is not to humble brag. It's not to get pity from you. I am so glad I went through every bit of pain I went through. Because now today, I can paint a story of potential purpose for others. Anytime I go speak to pastors, do you know what I'm asked to speak on? Burnout and depression. Other guys are talking about how to grow their church and do this and that. Hey, can you do that thing about burnout and depression and tell everybody how depressed and how bad it was for you? Oh, yeah, sure. I'll just come lighten the room up, you know. (laughs) Just save me as the finishing act here. But there's a reason that, that it happens because of the pain I went through. It paints a potential purpose, a story for those that they can say, you know what, I can have purpose too even in my pain. So today I close with this. Is that guys, I say, guys, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what enemies have entered your life, and you're probably asking the question, why me, why now, why this? But God can use that. He doesn't create it. He doesn't cause it, but He will leverage it, and He will use it in a way that you never imagined in your life, and I'm praying for you that as you go through these seasons that you'll respond and see opportunity in it and say, God, I want to get closer to you. I want to grow closer to you, and then when this thing is all said and done, I want to use this. I want to use this to help others see the potential purpose they have. Remember, you're a five-gallon bucket right now, but God has a 50,000-gallon vision for your life, and He's just trying to create more capacity, because He does know the plans He has for you. He knows the plans to prosper you. He knows the plans He has for a future and a hope. Amen? Let's pray this morning. Father, we come to You this morning, and we ask for Your presence to be felt by us, There are people going through extreme pain right now, Lord. My first prayer for them is that they would begin to sense the union they have with you in Christ. That they would begin to sense your Holy Spirit in the midst of their suffering. I pray that, God. I pray the Scriptures would come alive to them. And I pray prayer would be their focus, God, in this time. Communion with you, Father. But God, I also pray uh, right now, not only meet them in their situation, but God, show them that they can, that you can use it for their good and for the good of others and for the story that you're writing in their life, Father. I pray for that right now. God, we ask for you to help us to respond correctly to the enemies of our life, to see them as opportunities, Lord. Help me to do that, God. Help me to see your plan is still at work even when enemies come in. And as we're praying today, church, we're in this mode of prayer, whether you're in here physically or you're online, I'm don't, I don't, not sure what your story is, but I do know this. Your step, your next step, if you haven't done this, is to give your life to Jesus. If you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, you haven't given your life to Christ, or maybe you walked away from your faith, I don't know what your story is today, But God's calling you. He's calling you to come back to faith or for the first time ever to make the greatest decision of your life. So right now, where you're at, whether you're online or in here today physically, if you've never accepted Christ, I want you to pray this prayer after me. You say, God, I need the Savior. I need Jesus. Today, I confess Jesus as my Lord, I believe he died on the cross. I believe he rose again on the third day. I believe he is Lord. I believe he is sitting at the right hand of God. So today, God, I turn from my old life, I repent, and I receive full forgiveness of sins. Thank you for saving me today, Jesus. Now, Lord. Help my story, help others. In Jesus' good name we pray, amen.